Global supply chain and logistics industry leaders gather, connect, and exchange ideas at IHS Market's annual TPM conference organized by the JOC. In our new podcast series, Beyond TPM, we keep those conversations going, taking a deep dive into critical, rapidly evolving topics and the insights uncovered this year at TPM 21. I'm Alessandra Barrett, the JOC's Senior Editor for Special Projects. Today I'm speaking with the Port of Virginia's CEO, Stephen Edwards. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. You stepped into this role about a year ago in January 2021. How's it going? Well, Alessandra, I'd say I'm pleasantly surprised. I, I, know, I knew that when I was coming into this role, um, that I was joining a port that had been modernizing and expanding some of the terminal facilities. And I had a fairly good understanding of what the, what the objectives were. And I think it's fair to say that the operations are performing to a good level. Um, and that is a good thing because at the moment with a number of the challenges in the overall supply chain, uh, it means I've been able to concentrate a lot of my time in, in getting to understand um, the, the wider Port Authority responsibilities, the, the stakeholders within the Commonwealth of Virginia, knowing that in, in general terms, our operations are running, are running well, and we haven't been facing some of the supply chain challenges that other, other locations have been. So I think, um, and you know, I think we've got a very positive outlook at the moment. Now, coming from the, with the West Coast, what are your thoughts on diversification of the shipper strategy, including or strictly focusing on more of the East Coast gateways? Yeah, I've got a few thoughts on that. I, I think the, the, the West Coast has proven this year to be or to be a real challenge for anybody in, in the supply chain. And I think you can see that from the, the delays to ships being birthed. And the, but those delays on ships being birthed that has been widely reported in Los Angeles and Long Beach is really the knock-on effect from other supply chain challenges. I mean, there's supply chain challenges in the, the transloading warehousing with the volumes that were pushed to them, that backed into you know, chassis fleets and trucking arrangements, which backed into port, the terminals, and then ultimately backs into ships being at anchor, which becomes the very visible thing for people to report against. But really it came all the way through the supply chain. And I think we all have to recognize it's not the first time that the West Coast has had a significant challenge or that the Southern California Basin has had a significant challenge. Those significant challenges have existed in 2015. They've existed back in 2002. And here we are during a surge of cargo with the buying patterns that we have at the moment and a lot of it coming through different you know, retail channels with a big surge in e-commerce buying than they may previously have come through. So that does create, I think, a big opportunity to East Coast ports in general in two ways. One is, I think, the need for certainty, the need for to be supply chain um, confidence in your, in your supply chains lends itself to say, let's take some of that freight from the West Coast and diversify it to the East Coast. It was a strategy that was deployed by certain retailers post-2002 and for that next decade and now you've got some different retailers and different importers who will probably need to look at how they diversify their risk portfolio on, on supply chain as well so i think that opportunity exists i think the other opportunity is as the sourcing of goods moves west in asia so as it moves more towards southeast asia and maybe south asia if those are the areas that are going to grow, and I think it's well known, Vietnam is the fastest growing sourcing point at the moment. 
they lend themselves to routing through the Suez Canal to get to the East Coast versus necessarily going through the West Coast and then being landbridged. And I think we all know that two thirds of the population live, live east of the Mississippi. So that's where the cargo has to get to. So I think the overall East Coast ports have an opportunity to participate in some movement of freight back to the East Coast from the West Coast as we settle into whatever the new normal is. The theme of this podcast is carrying the conversations begun at TPM forward, looking to the future of those topics that we that we discussed. This year, of course, that was a virtual event. And during the conference, you spoke on a panel about the role of ports in collecting and passing along data. How would you say recent container tightness has changed the call for this data, you know, beyond that people want more information, are the what and the how changing? Is the local community asking for different specifics? I don't I don't know that there's any significant changes other than clearly at times of supply chain stress, the need for information is even greater. Um, and I think anybody who is looking to buy goods at the moment and is being told that there's a delay or there's um, supply chain challenges to bringing goods into the country is looking for that, trans- that transparency of data. When I look at that at, a, at our port level, so the Port of Virginia, uh, we are an operating port, we're not a landlord port. And that's a distinct difference because we are therefore in charge. We have a subsidiary that runs all of our operations. At the same time, we have our, our port authority role. So providing that core data of when is a ship coming, when is a ship going to berth, when is your container discharged, when is your container available, all of that operating information is freely available. And as we are the Port of Virginia, we're able to provide that holistic view of all the cargo that's coming through the port. And we are increasingly able to link that information directly into the BCOs and their truckers who they they may nominate or their carrier may nominate to to feed that information in. So there's this greater availability to say, not only when is my container available, but when is my container due to be picked up? And similarly, on the outbound, we can say, yes, your container is received. You know your goods are in transit and they're on the outbound. When are they expected to load the vessel? So at a pure container level, it gives us the capability to give the whole community using the gateway that information and whether that inquiry is from a shipping line, whether that inquiry is from a cargo owner, the trucker, the broker, that, that information is available. So people aren't, you know, as far as the Port of Virginia, you're able to go to the one site. That's an advantage over some of the other ports who may have multiple terminal operators within the port and they're trying to aggregate multiple pieces of data. Can you expand on the relationship between information availability and its contribution to real-time fluidity. If you could connect the dots a bit, at least for a picture of how in Virginia the data is being used. How we now use data going forward to further improve the operations, there's, I think there's two sides to that information, not only linking it directly into importers or exporters, but now we can begin to see certain patterns. So let's just assume, by example, that importer A has a pattern of picking up their containers by appointment in the morning hours. Let's just assume we have that data and we know that the importer A is picking up in the morning hours. Then we know we can use our automated stacking systems and the algorithms within them, the artificial intelligence to say, let's make sure that that person's containers, importer A's containers, are in the right place for those morning deliveries and importer B might be available for, for, for later in the day. So we're able to do housekeeping and other strategies to improve the fluidity of the business, 
improve the experience for the trucking community. And all of that is the use of data. I think what we have also seen in this time is a number of the shipping line carriers have been making quick supply chain decisions that say they may be sailing into delays, sailing towards delays at other ports. And they're looking at the stowage criteria of their vessels and saying, can they bring that ship quickly into Virginia? Can they take off certain streams of cargo, largely Midwest related or other inland locations, and then carry on to the, to the port they were first headed to and go to their second to take, take off the local cargo there? That's all data driven. I mean, it's all collaborative data that says, are they stowed such that we can get to the cargo on the ship and discharge it? Have they stowed their vessel that way? Have we got the yard capacity, the rail yard capacity to move that in the timeframes they, that they're, not, they're now expecting? Have we got the information from the railroad carriers as to how that uh, on their rail car availability to say that can be done? All those data sources come into us. And I think what I've seen is it's, while there's still manual interventions to a large degree, the data sets are being made available by all the partners. And therefore we're able to work much quicker, much more agile and the end result is an improved experience for the importer. Let's talk a little bit about those direct relationships that larger cargo owners are building with ports. What are your thoughts on the potential when that is added to the conversation around data access? How can they have maximum impact? As expected, at times at times when importers are looking for that information, they're going to come to who's got who has the information and what is the best source. And increasingly, we're seeing that importers are able to provide us with what's, what they have incoming to us. We're able to then coordinate that data with their trucking community, with their customs brokers to help smooth that flow. And I would encourage any importer or exporter to work with us to make sure that our teams are connected and to make sure that our data feeds are connected so that they've got that visibility because they recognize they, they are choosing to use two, three, four or five different ocean carriers, um, but ultimately they all come through the same gateway. And our, our role is to make it easy to use the gateway. So we will make sure that those two, three, four or five ocean carriers are getting the information. We'll be making sure that that importer is then getting the consolidated information for com coming from all five. So. We do see increasing requests at this time, and I think that is a trend that's going to continue. And the more we can do that, the better. What can be done to improve communication port to port up and down the coast? So I, I think what we've seen in the course so far of this year is, uh, particularly for the exporters, let's, let's think through an exporter's experience that says he's got a receiving window in a port the port opens up the receiving window for the cargo and then the vessel gets delayed at the prior port. So in our case, we've seen delays of ships coming through New York. We've seen delays of ships uh, waiting outside of Savannah and they have been not as predictable as the trade would have liked probably. So everybody knows there are going to be occasions when ships are delayed. There will be weather delays. There will be you know, operational issues. That's the nature of our business. So getting that information quicker so that we can all be we can all make sure that, for example, the exporter who is intending to bring cargo into a port is not bringing it in too soon, or that he's not bringing it in, you know, bringing it in, in, in on a time frame that we're then incurring costs to rehandle it within the port. So that data visibility of the prior terminal or the prior port and how the ocean carrier uh, intends to react, the, the system works because the information flow is there. 
but just getting that little bit further ahead of it on each with, with the, that information flow is something that we can all work on just that little bit better to say how quicker can we get can we get the information that says if we're sailing into a port and we now know there are going to be delays how quickly can we convey that information up and down the coast so that we can all react and inform the next piece of the supply chain accordingly so i do believe that on the on the vessel basis there's a bit more for us all to do it all works because ships go out up and down the coast as they do today but there's more we can do we're only 19 hours south of new york for a vessel but if that vessel if we were expecting it on a wednesday and now it's delayed till a friday we, you know, that information flow, the sooner we have it, the sooner it's back into the trade to say, you know, hold things at your warehouse before you're bringing them into the port. Let's talk about investments and capacity. The news came out recently that the port will break ground in February on the new rail yard at Norfolk International Terminals now that final funding has been approved by the board. This will double NIT's annual rail capacity, putting it in line with the stated goal to increase the port's volume share of containers moved by rail to 40%. In addition, two ship-to-shore cranes arrived earlier this year, bringing the port closer to handling six ultra-large container ships simultaneously, and two more are on the way. Can you give us an update on the planning behind these projects? So the central rail yard expansion is a great project we've got ahead of us. I mean, two reasons. One is not only is it a an, ex, an expansion it's not it will not interfere with the existing rail operations the, they're they're separate parts of the of the terminal so we'll be able to build the central rail yard without disrupting the current operations and when it's built it will be clearly more capacity but it'll be modern uh, more efficient capacity as well so this will give a great opportunity for um, the railroads to increase the volumes that their destinations they serve and the volumes that we put through the port and it'll improve the efficiency with which we are able to put that business through the port as well. So in terms of managing those key metrics of, of you know, the train density that we're building or the, you know, the flow, of, the transit flow of the cargo, the velocity with which we're moving it through the terminals, we're positioning ourselves to be really best in class uh, for rail on, on the whole coast. And what we're building in the central rail yard is really a mirror image of what we've previously built at the Virginia International Gateway. So we know it works, it's proven, it works exceptionally well. It'll be the same design, same software, same equipment. On the ship, the shore cranes, the cranes that arrived in January are up, they're running, they're commissioned um, and in use. And uh, we take delivery of two further ones in quarter one next year, which will further enhance uh, ultra large ship capability. So we are increasingly seeing um, ultra large container vessels we're pleased to see those. We've built the terminals to receive them, and we, ex- we expect the trend to continue, that we will continue to see multiple calls per week, as we do now, uh, of these vessels. Great news all around, and I look forward to continuing this conversation in the new year and catching up on these projects as well as dredging, which we didn't even go into today. So thanks again, Stephen, for taking the time, and congratulations. Thank you. Beyond TPM is a production of the JOC, part of the Maritime and Trade Division of IHS Market. For more news, analysis, and business intelligence for all things shipping and logistics, visit JOC.com and follow us on social media.